Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Romans chapter 6. Uh, we have today and two more Sundays in Romans. Uh, then the, uh, the fourth Sunday from now, or third Sunday from now, will be uh, the 11th of June. And that's our 2028 weekend. And so we'll have a, a special worship service uh, for that weekend. And then we will kick off on the 19th of June. Uh, we'll go into our summer series. We're going to do a topical study. We're going to look at worship and what that means in, in each of our lives. And uh, all the different pastors and Chip are going to take turns with that sermon series. Uh, and then we'll get back to Romans uh, when school kicks off around the middle to third week in August. So three more Sundays in Romans, and then uh, we'll take a little break uh, and come back to it, and we'll, uh, we'll keep pressing forward. Uh, but today, Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 15 through 23. Uh, if you stopped and thought about the history of the United States for just a moment, some of your history buffs, some of you aren't, but if you just thought about our heritage as a country, and you thought about uh, words that are associated with our country, you would maybe come up with things like freedom uh, or republic, uh, new world, maybe some of those things. But if you were thinking about what might be um, a less than um, good memory in our nation's history, where would your mind go? If you thought about what we're not very proud of, where would your mind wander? I would suggest that the most loathsome word in our English dictionary, if you think about us as a nation, is the word slavery. Now, a person stopped me after the first service and said, I think you're close. I think actually cubs is the worst, uh, most loathsome word in history. And I said, I, as much as I don't like the cubs, I think you missed my point completely. <laughs> slavery is really one of the ugliest blemishes on the history of our country. It was an appalling institution that destroyed the lives of millions of people. And while we praise our forefathers for their visions of liberty, their, their visions of writing a constitution that would pass on from generation to generation and ensure freedom, we also at times are astonished at the lack of, of moral perception in this particular area. Not only a, a moral blindness, but also in moments, utter hypocrisy where you have some of the greatest minds that the United States has ever produced uh, in the colonies writing passionately about freedom while they are slave owners themselves. Thomas Jefferson, who uh, arguably speaking is one of the most important founding fathers of this nation, and actually wrote on the idea of uh, slaves becoming free, never released any slaves in his own lifetime. How is that possible? Now, I'm not here to judge uh, what past generations have done, simply to say that that word slavery conjures up for, for all Americans a dark spot in our history, a, a part of our history of which we are ashamed and, and of which we're still seeing the consequences today. The reason I bring this up is because Paul uses a word uh, that is beyond distasteful to us. Paul is going to use the word slavery in this passage this morning. And he's going to look at it from a negative point of view as well as from a positive point of view. Now, if you're like me, you probably say, I don't know any way that somebody could use the word slavery in a positive aspect unless you're talking about someone being freed from, out from under slavery. So if you're looking at maybe South Africa most recently and, and Nelson Mandela and the apartheid movement and how they, they went from, from uh, no rights at all to, to freedom. That's a good way to use the word slavery, but Paul is actually going to say we were captured by one power, 
But now we've been captured by another power. And that's a very good thing. And so I wanted to at least warn you before we jumped into this passage. Because Paul uses this word that we do. uh, It makes us very uncomfortable and rightly so. But he does it in order for us to understand the true meaning of grace. It was a hot-button word in Paul's day and age. The the Christians in the church in Rome, when Paul wrote this letter to his original audience, probably a full third of the members of that congregation were literally still slaves. Probably another third of that congregation were men and were women who had previously been slaves, and maybe as recently as within the last year or two had been uh, released from that slavery because they were in some way able to buy their way out. Slavery was a hot-button issue in Rome as well. And Paul takes a word that we see only negative uses for. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, he actually says, there's some good news here when it comes to the grace of God, which means we must be wise and we must be humble if we're going to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church this morning of grace. Verses 15 through 23, the passage will be on the screen. Hear the word of God. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms. Because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members, that's just another a word for your bodies, your, your, your beings. Once, as you, once you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this text this morning, we come as as free Americans, free citizens. We don't bow our knee to anyone. We are respectful of people in office, but, but we see ourselves, we define ourselves as free men and women. Father, as we look into our past as a country, Uh, we are ashamed of of what has taken place. And fathers, in many ways, maybe we haven't done as much as we should have in our own lifetimes to celebrate freedom across races and across cultural barriers. And so for us, Lord, the idea of of slavery actually being a positive thing is in many ways beyond beyond any thinking that that we would do on this topic. Lord, I can't give uh, justice to this text. I can't explain it in a way that uh, will be life-giving. Lord, only you can do that. Only the power of your Holy Spirit can do that. But Father, we trust in that. You promise that your word won't return empty. It will accomplish something in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts 
to receive, minds to understand what you want to say this morning to us, Lord. I pray that you'd forgive me for my sin. I pray that I would not stand in the way of what you want to teach us. Lord Jesus, we uh, submit our hearts and our minds to you and ask that you would instruct us according to your perfect truth. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, I'm going to begin by giving you kind of an overview or what I'm going to call a guiding principle for this section of verses in Romans chapter 6. And the guiding principle is simply this, that wrong slavery, slavery to sin, which we'll talk about in just a minute, brings moral and spiritual decay and death. Uh, So Paul says that there is a slavery to which you have actually uh, found yourselves bound uh, prior to coming to know Christ, and that slavery always leads in kind of a death spiral, not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. We'll, we'll come to that part again uh, momentarily. But the, the flip side of that, Paul isn't, uh, isn't leading us to the word freedom, but rather he's leading us to a different master. And again, that seems a bit odd to us as, as Americans. Wait a minute, we don't have, we don't have a master. Uh, we, we are providing for ourselves. We, lead in a free, we live in a free society. But Paul says, actually, from, from a spiritual perspective, the right slavery brings moral and spiritual freedom. So how do we get our minds around uh, this idea? Well, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about uh, the negative side, slavery to sin and death, and then we'll come back and talk about uh, the slavery that he identifies as slavery to righteousness and to, and to life and to God. But first, slavery uh, to sin and death. There are several places where he mentions it in this passage. I've put them up on the screen for us. You are slaves to the one whom you obey. You were once slaves to sin. He identifies them as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. And I didn't go on and put it on the screen, but he goes on to say, which led to even more lawlessness. And then he talks about again in verse 20, when you were slaves to sin. Paul says your spiritual condition apart from Christ, whether you're living in first century Rome uh, and, and literal physical slavery, or whether you're living in 21st century United States of America and consider yourself the most free person on the planet, your spiritual condition from birth is one of enslavement to sin. Paul says this is not something that you've, you've learned. It's not something uh, that, that has kind of grown on you. He says you basically you were born that way. And uh, if you go back to Romans chapter 5, Uh, In a particular, a couple of sermons that Pastor Jeremy preached earlier this spring, he talks about how we became in this condition, how we ended up so that each one of us is born into sin. Talk to uh, younger parents who have little ones that are becoming, you know, one, two, three, and four-year-olds. And you never find a young parent who says, you know, I've been working hard to teach my kids how to sin. It seems to be lost on them, and so we've really tried to teach them how to be selfish, with one another. We, we've tried to teach them how to hit one another when they don't get their way. We've really been working hard because sin seems to be lost on them. Of course, that's, that's nuts. That's crazy. This is if you heard somebody talking that way. But have you ever met a young parent who has said, how can my kids at such a young age be so self-centered? How can my kids be, be so mean to one another when they're two years old or, or three years old? You know, our boys, when they, when they were little, you know, it was kind of hard for, and even through college, it's hard for one of them to walk next to the other one without them punching them in the shoulder in a kind of friendly little love tap, which turns into a little harder punch back, which turns into a little bit harder punch, punch back, which turns into broken furniture in my house, right? You know, I didn't have to teach them that. I didn't have to teach them how to get angry with one another. It was innate to them. Why? Because apart from Christ, they're slaves to sin. 
just like you and like me. And so Paul doesn't dance around the issue. He doesn't say, yeah, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'll, I'll try to, you're a pretty good person. Maybe you can work it out. No, he comes right to the crux of the matter. Like it or not, friends, each one of us is a slave to sin. We are all under its corrupting influence. Well, where does that lead? What's the result of this sinfulness? Well, the result, he goes on in several verses to mention. Sin leads to death. Impurity leads to lawlessness. And again, I didn't put it on the screen, but that leads to even more lawlessness. The end of those things, speaking about the things of, of, of sin, is death. The wages of sin is death. It's interesting that word wages here, I'm going to pause for just a second, is a, is a term that was used for Roman soldiers. Uh, that they would get their they would get their their paycheck every so often as a, as a soldier did, but there was also an account into which money was applied, uh, Roman currency was applied that they were able to accumulate over their lifetime, and that it was given to them upon retirement, kind of like in a, a retirement fund that we have today. You know, you get your IRA or four hundred you know one k or whatever when you get to retirement age. The same was true for Roman soldiers. And Paul uses that word. He says, "You work and you work and you work all your life, and what's the result? What's the wage you get?" for all the work you've done as a slave to sin, death. That's the result of the condition in which we were born, the condition in which we continue to live in apart from Christ. Now, I also want to uh, look at this term lawlessness to lawlessness for just a moment because that's one of the results is that we, we live in this impurity that leads to even more impurity is what Paul is saying there. Uh, this lawlessness that is found in verse 18. And what he's speaking of there is what modern economists call the law of diminishing returns. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Uh, In economics, it means there comes a point where you put more and more into a product, you eventually get less on your return. Simple example. If you are a farmer, uh, and you sow your crop in the field, and you, you go out in the spring, and you do your spring planting, and then you put a certain amount of fertilizer in the field in order to ensure that you get a good crop. So the next summer you say, or the next spring you say, boy, if I got that much crop for this much fertilizer, I'm going to do that much fertilizer and double my crop. And the law of diminishing returns says no. They don't equal out. Eventually they actually get like this, and then eventually they actually go the other way. And the law of diminishing returns doesn't always, the more you put in doesn't mean you will get more out. Why does Paul use that term here? What he's saying is sin promises you a wage. It tells you that if you'll just follow along, if you'll, if you'll continue in your enslavement and your entrapment to sin, and you practice those things in your life, those things that, that, that are defined as impurity, what will happen is you'll, you'll actually feel good. You know, we kind of made fun of this, uh, you know, last Sunday, I think it was, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Why? What they're saying is come here and have a good time. Nobody will know. It'll feel great. But, you know, the third or fourth or fifth or sixth time you go back to Vegas, guess what? You need a little bit more. You need a little bit more. And what satisfied before doesn't satisfy now. Why? Because it was never meant to satisfy in the first place. I warned my boys at a very early age, at age 14, actually, I talked to my boys about being very, very careful to avoid sexual sin, whether it's looking at it on a, on a computer screen or whether it's literal physical involvement with a young lady because you can never get enough once you start down that path. That desire is insatiable, and it never ends. And if you start down that pathway, it will eat you alive. And I said, it's the law of diminishing returns because what satisfied last week isn't going to satisfy this week. And what satisfies this week 
won't satisfy next week. Now, it's not just in our sexuality, friends. Take that across the board in any sin. There, there are folks that I'm sure are wrapped up in the sin of gossip, that, that literally every day of their lives, they spend time talking about other people in very negative ways. And that might have started out in, in a very benign comment about someone else, but the response they get kind of made it feel good. And so they ended up talking a little bit more and a little bit more. And now they, they can't go a day without dragging somebody down and explaining why they're such a bad person. It's, it's not just sexuality. Put any sin into there you want. And I gossip a little bit about you today. I'm going to need to gossip a little bit more tomorrow because it isn't going to be quite as satisfying. Paul says this downward spiral as a slave to sin results in lawlessness upon lawlessness, and you will always be incomplete. You'll never be satisfied. Parents of young children at Green Tree, please teach your children this biblical principle. Help them understand that, that in pursuing those avenues that the world holds up and says, if you just participate in this, it will be great. That as a pathway to death. And that's what Paul says, that ultimately this lawlessness leads to death. But he's not limiting it to just our physical death. He's saying the more and more that I sin, the more and more I I embrace my slavery to sin, the less room there is for other things in my life, like kindness and compassion. The less I'm going to tend towards peacemaking. The less I'm going to have contentment in my life. If I enslave myself to the pursuit of possessions, I'm never going to have enough. Where does that end up? It ends up in broken marriages. It ends up in corporate greed costing billions of dollars. Class envy. If you take it to its extreme, it can end up in mass genocide and refugee camps and child abuse and sex scandals and overcrowded prisons, all of which are lawlessness and death on display. Is there any hope at all? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? It's such a wonderful message. I just feel so great this morning. We're all slaves of sin that lead to death. Gee, thanks a lot, Tom. You got anything else for us? Well, thanks be to God. Doesn't matter what Tom has. The Lord Jesus says there's another pathway. And it's not just a question of slavery to sin and freedom to neutral living, but it's slavery to righteousness in life. Look at what Paul says about the slavery of righteousness. In verse 18, you have become slaves of righteousness, that perfect union of God's grace and his justice that were met on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. You are now slaves to that way of thinking. Present your members, present your body as slaves to righteousness. So when I walk out of this room and I, and I live my life the rest of the week, I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a slave to that gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. Again, this is a difficult concept for us to imagine that slavery can actually be a good thing. But when you're captured by the grace of God through Jesus, when, when he... You are the prize that he has won through the cross, and you belong to him. His transforming power creates a new allegiance and a new passion in your heart. So the things that were once important to you, it's not that you never sin again. It's not that you never do anything wrong, but those things for which you are living, you begin to see the rust and the decay and the lies and the falsehoods about the promises that were made, and you begin to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ, and you turn and you, and you enslave yourself to Christ joyfully, thankfully, 
Because you see what Christ has done for you, the grace of God that's been given to you in him on the cross. And Paul isn't talking to the Romans. He's talking with the Romans. Go back to Romans 1, verse 1. How does Paul introduce himself to this audience? Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Same word he used here in English. It says servant, but it's the same exact word in the Greek that he uses for slave in this passage. Paul says, I gladly abandon the slavery of sin and death, and enslave myself to Christ with all joy and with all thankfulness because of what he has done for me. This changing of allegiances is important for us to understand. Uh, My sister grew up in the same home I grew up in. Uh, We were both diehard Blues fans from the moment the St. Louis Blues came to town. She could still tell you who was on that starting roster in 67 and 68. And, and we both, you know, have lived and died with the Blues over the 40-plus years that they've disappointed us time and time again. But now my sister lives in Detroit, Michigan. You understand. <laughs> and now I have a Red Wings fan on my hands. She has changed allegiances. Uh, somebody, the guy mentioned the Cubs. I said, the great thing about the Cubs, it gives me somebody to hate more than the, than the Red Wings. But oh my goodness, she, she's, gone, she's gone over to the dark side, so to speak. She's, she's changed her allegiance. And Paul says, change your allegiance. Come over to the side of life. Reject that with, which you thought offered life and come to that which truly does. Belong to Jesus. Allow him to own you. What will the result be? How will your life be transformed, be changed? Well, look at the the, the promises that we see in this passage of verse 19. Paul says, this righteousness will lead you to sanctification. Now, don't panic. That's a big theological word. We're going to come to explain that in just a minute. He says, the fruit that you get, the, the byproduct you get, leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And then he reinforces that in verse 23. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's happening here is the law of diminishing returns is being set on its head. And the more you embrace Christ, the more you enslave yourself to Jesus, the greater your joy will be in him. The more you will be enraptured with his beauty, with his love, the more his causes and his, the things that, that bring about compassion in his heart will bring those same causes and compassions in your heart. You will begin to look like your Savior. That's, that's what sanctification is all about. And the promises that Jesus makes don't fall short. They actually give you more than you could ever hope or imagine. And this is the meaning of grace this is, the, this is the meaning of the right slavery brings the greatest freedom. That as we, as we entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ, as we joyfully give ourselves to him, he begins to change our hearts from the inside out. And so sanctification simply means this. The more I know Jesus, the more I, I, know his, I, I take on his identity and his priorities and his compassions, those things They become mine. How do you apply that truth? How do you apply the truth that that God wants to literally change your heart from the inside out? I I don't want to oversimplify, but I would say part of it is as simple as when you wake up in the morning is your first thought, Lord Jesus, I belong to you. And then you stop and think why you belong to Jesus. It's all of that out on your behalf and then freely gives it to you. What's the last verse of this passage? The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So the moment my eyes open, my thoughts are there, I begin to get grateful. 
And when I begin to get grateful, I begin to think about, okay, Lord, this is amazing. You would save a sinner like me. How do we take this to other people? Where are we going today? I want to I join you. I want to I attach myself to you so that, so that I can be used by you to share this wonderful message with others, whether it's in a classroom, some, you know, in my math class, whether it's in a business that I operate, in my marriage, raising my children, being a child to my parents, wherever the case may be, how do I get enslaved with you, Lord? It's out of a thankful heart when I dwell on who he is and what he's done. God creates a new man, a new woman, a new young man, a new young woman. Uh, I'm going to talk about a Paul for just a second in the book of Philippians uh, to, to give you a little bit more of an example. When Paul wrote to the, to the folks in Philippi, he was in jail, and he had received some messengers from them, and they were all upset. They were all in a panic because Paul had been in prison, and he was like, you know, the main guy. And he writes back to him. He says, you know, yeah, it's, you know, I'm in prison, no question. But guess what? My imprisonment has turned out for, for great things. Uh, God is using my imprisonment that people are actually becoming Christians. The whole palace guard, all those guys have become Christians. Now, how did that happen? Well, if you go back and you look at history, a political prisoner like Paul, he was like a big-time prisoner. He's like, you know, don't set bail because we don't want him to go. You know, he's got to go before the emperor, okay? So he's, he's like pretty high up there, okay? A guy like that, when he was in prison and he was under house arrest, he had a chain on this wrist, a chain on this wrist, a chain on this ankle, and a chain on this ankle. And at the other end of each of those was a soldier. So there was a soldier there, a soldier there, a soldier there, and a soldier there. And lo and behold, all those people came to know Jesus as Savior. <laughs> Why? Because they were enslaved to Paul, <laughs> At eight-hour shifts, you know, three eight-hour shifts a day. So the 12 guards had nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. <laughs> and Paul was saying to them every day, you think I'm enslaved? <laughs> let me tell you about your slavery. And let me tell you how the slavery of Christ can redeem you. It can buy your salvation just as it's done my own. So, so the part of the meaning of grace is this idea of sanctification, that I'm more and more in line with my Lord Jesus. And then ultimately, where does that sanctification lead? It leads to eternal life. In other words, my growing in Christ simply reinforces God's master plan of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I don't know if I should be relieved this morning to see all of you in church or I should be worried that you weren't raptured and neither was I yesterday and, and we've got a serious problem on our hands. I messed with a whole bunch of people's minds last night. I sent out a text message to about 12 of my best friends and I said, heaven's really big, but I should have seen you up here by now. Uh, I'm, really, uh, I'm really sorry. You know, a lot of people have made fun of that and, and I, quite frankly, rightly so, I think the man's a false prophet. To mock the idea that you're going to have to stand before God someday is the height of insanity. No matter whether Jesus comes back today, tomorrow, next week, a thousand years from now, there isn't anybody in this room that's going to be alive in a hundred years. And at the moment of my death is the moment I stand before God and I give an account. And there's nowhere to run and there's nowhere to hide. And God has one simple question. What did you do with Jesus? Did you enslave yourself to him? Or are you still enslaved to sin? Because that enslavement goes on forever, both to the positive and to the negative. And so Paul rightly says in this passage, it's not just about growing in Christ in this lifetime, if that weren't enough of a reward, but it's much deeper and it's much more profound. God has taken care of your eternity in Christ. 